And I'm going to begin, the only way you can with such a, a series, by reading the first few verses of Paul's amazing letter to the church at Rome as we begin our time together. Remember, Paul is writing to some brothers and sisters he's not met in Rome, who he hopes to go to to do gospel work with them and through them and beyond them into Spain even is the apostle's intention. And he writes to them. And this wonderful letter is all about the gospel that he hopes to preach among them and by their help to preach beyond. So the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Let's hear the word of the Lord as we begin our time together. Romans 1. I'm going to just begin, read verses 1 to 7 as we begin. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, through Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also, in Rome, and us here too in Binfield, you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome, or we could say all in Binfield, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, his saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What a way to open a letter. The apostle begins. We continue now in Romans 1, picking up now from verse 8. Paul has told us what the gospel is. It's all about Jesus. And he now talks about his desire to come to Rome, where these Christians are, to share the gospel with them and, and to hopefully work with them to take the gospel beyond into the world. And this is how he begins. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith, that's the faith of the church in Rome, your faith is being reported all over the world. God, who I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, the good news about Jesus, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way might be open for me to come to you. See how Paul wants to go to Rome to be with these brothers and sisters. Verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, perhaps better, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you at Rome, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. Four, verse 14. 
I am a debtor, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it, the gospel, this message about Jesus, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Literally, from faith to faith. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. We're now going to continue our reading from verse 18 of Romans 1. Verse 18 from Romans 1. Paul has told us why the good news is so exciting, because it reveals God's righteousness in Jesus, that we can be made righteous. That's been revealed. And he now tells us why it's so desperately important. God's righteousness needs to be made known. People need to know how to be right with God. People need to be transformed. Because sin and judgment have already got a head start in the world. This world is broken because it's full of sinners who reject God and his word. Look what he says, verse 18. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And then talking about everyone, really, who rejects the Lord their God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Though they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. After the long section talking about sin, Paul summarizes in these amazing words, Romans 3, I'm going to read verses 21 to 26. Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now, apart from the law, so not by works, the righteousness of God has been made known or revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ 
as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So very good morning to you all. Hope you're all okay. It is such a privilege, isn't it, to look at God's Word together, the living Word of God. So, for February 2020, we're studying and we're reading the book of Romans, the book of Romans. And really, there should be some kind of sort of safety warning attached to the book of Romans, like a sort of safety warning before you read it and study it. Because when people study the book of Romans, things happen. Deep and dramatic things happen when people read and study the book of Romans. And we see that throughout church history. I don't know how many of you know this guy. This is Augustine of Hippo. So he became the bishop of Hippo in North Africa. And he is one of the most influential church leaders and philosophers in history. One of the most influential church leaders and philosophers in history. Well, Augustine of Hippo was a very, um, how would I put it, promiscuous young man. He, he, he was a bit of a party boy. But then, in the summer of the year 387 AD, he became a Christian at the age of 33. He was in Milan, and he could hear a child sort of singing this song over and over again, take it up and read. I don't know what the tune might have been, but he could just hear this child singing this song, take it up and read, take it up and read. And he picked up a Bible, and have a guess what book he turned to. Romans, yeah, Romans. And after reaching chapter 13, this is 13 and 14, he became a Christian. What do we read there? Romans 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. So that's when Augustine of Hippo came to faith in Christ. And then soon after, he publicly declared his faith in Jesus and was baptized. So one of the most influential church leaders and philosophers in history. Back at the end of the third century, early fourth century. So then if we go forward to the 16th century, or the end of the 15th, early 16th century, we've got Martin Luther in Germany, who was a monk, a German monk. And Martin Luther rediscovered the truth about justification by faith in loan. They were justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And that led to the Protestant Reformation, which changed the history of the Western world. 
Isn't that massive? So listen to uh, Martin Luther's testimony in his own words. So he became a Christian when he studied the book of Romans. So this is his testimony in his own words. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Romans chapter 1 verse 17. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. Here, here, I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered into paradise itself through open gates. Aren't they incredible words? And what happened next? Well, the rest is history, as they say, isn't it? What did he do? He then went on to lead the Protestant Reformation, which changed the history of the Western world. And listen to Martin Luther's introduction, just the introduction to his commentary on the book of Romans. It's not long, but this is incredible. This is probably the best introduction to a commentary I've ever read. Listen to these words. This letter... So this letter to the Romans, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament. That's a big claim already, isn't it? It is purest gospel. It is well worth the Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word. Okay, there's the challenge, isn't it? Memorize. He's like, Oh, yeah, you shouldn't just memorize Romans word for word. Of course, you're going to do that, aren't you? Memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily. So think about Romans every day. As though it were the daily bread of the soul, it is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Oh, isn't that just amazing? You just want to sort of oh, read Romans constantly, even after just reading that introduction to Martin Luther's um, commentary on the book of Romans, isn't it? And this is the last one then, last example in history. Let's go to the 18th century in England. And who's this? This is John Wesley. So... John Wesley was an 18th century sort of evangelist and a leader of a revival. And he went to a church meeting in Aldersgate in London in 1738. And he just heard someone read the introduction to Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. So this is what he wrote in his journal in 1738. So this is his own words, John Wesley. 
In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, is that quarter to nine? Yeah, so about a quarter before nine, so 8.45, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that's like his famous phrase, isn't it? Wesley's famous phrase, my heart was strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And what happened to John Wesley? Well, he went on to become a great sort of traveling preacher. Apparently, he traveled a quarter of a million miles on a horse, 250,000 miles on a horse. That's like 10 times around the world. And he preached over 40,000 sermons. <laughs> and then when he, when he died, uh, he sort of founded the Methodist Church. And when he died... There were 72,000 members in Britain and 60,000 members in America. So my point is, deep and dramatic things happen when the book of Romans is read and studies. And who knows, who knows what will happen to us this month as we read and study the book of Romans. Anything could happen, couldn't it? Maybe sitting here this morning might be the next Augustine, Luther, or Wesley. And you might be thinking, oh, you've been silly. Stop being so dramatic. But is it impossible? Is it impossible that the next Augustine, Wesley, or Luther is sitting here this morning? We just don't know, do we? That's what the Bible can do to someone. So as we study Romans, it should have a remarkable effect on us spiritually. As we study Romans the gospel will become clear to us. The gospel will become clear to us. Because a lot of what is called gospel isn't really what you see in Romans. A lot of what some people call gospel today isn't necessarily the gospel of God presented for us in Romans. And as we study Romans, we should understand the Old Testament better. And certainly, as we study Romans, we'll be overwhelmed by what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ. So that's just sort of whetted our appetites a bit. You're like, right, get on with it. I want to to read Romans. I want to study Romans. Yeah, so let's dive in at chapter 1, Romans chapter 1. If you could turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. It's on page 1128, 1128. Uh, And I think what I love about the book of Romans is that it basically just introduces itself, doesn't it? It sort of speaks for itself. There's very little I need to sort of preach. There's very little I need to preach. I just need to let the book of Romans sort of speak for itself, really. So the book of Romans reads like a letter, doesn't it? Is that fair to say? It reads like a letter. So who is this letter written by? Who's the letter written by? 
Well, what do we read in Romans chapter 1, verse 1? Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So the book of Romans is written by an apostle. It's written by an apostle. And what does apostle mean? It means sort of sent one or messenger. And the apostles were people who met Jesus after he'd risen from the dead. And the apostles were people who were set apart by Jesus and sent by Jesus to be his messengers, to build the church with the gospel, to build the church with the gospel. And the teachings of the apostles is still our foundation today. The teachings of the prophets and the apostles is our foundation today as a church. That's what we're building our lives on, isn't it? So the book of Romans is a message from Jesus Christ through the Apostle Paul. So when we read the words of the book of Romans, we should receive them as if they were coming straight out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we read the words of the book of Romans, when we hear the words of the book of Romans being read, we should think Jesus is physically standing in front of me, speaking. It should be that dramatic. So we shouldn't be sort of bored or switch off, isn't it, when the words of the book of Romans, when the words of the Bible are being read, or when we are reading the words of the Bible. It is Jesus speaking to us, isn't it? So who is the Apostle Paul writing to? Well, the answer's in verse 7, isn't it? What do we read there? In verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So who are these people in Rome, in Italy, who are loved by God and called to be his holy people? Who are the people who are loved by God and called to be his holy people? Well, let's have a look at the epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, and chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. It's the local church, isn't it, who are called to be God's holy people. And what do we read in Ephesians chapter 5? In the first half of verse 25, sorry, the second half of verse 25 and the first half of verse 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. So the Apostle Paul is writing to a local church in Rome, isn't he? He's writing to a local church, people who are loved by God and called to be holy. That is the local church. The Apostle Paul is writing to a local church, a local church just like Binfield Free Church. We are loved by God, aren't we? And we are called to be holy. Isn't that amazing? So the local church in Rome would have had church leaders, just like we have. They would have had members, 
And they're listed, actually, aren't they? Well, probably many of them are listed in chapter 16. They're, they're sort of named, aren't they? Uh, and the local church at Rome would have had sort of young people, would have had old people, would have had families, would have had single people, people would have had jobs. And the local church at Rome would have had problems, problems just like us. So they were ordinary people. But then the question is, why did the Apostle Paul write to the local church at Rome? Well, on a superficial level, it seems as if the Apostle Paul just wants to tell this local church in Rome, hey, I'm on my way to Spain, and I'll pop in to see you on the way and, and spend a bit of time on you, with you before I move on to Spain. What, what do we read in Romans 15? This is 23 and 24. I've been longing for many years to visit you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through uh, and to have you assist me on my journey there uh, after I've enjoyed your company for a little while. So it's like, put the kettle on, isn't it? I'm on my way. <laughs> I'll get a bed ready, isn't it? I'm going to stay with you for a little bit. But also, in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 15, he's basically telling them, I'm praying that I will be able to visit you. He's like, because I love local churches. You know, I'm praying that I'll be able to meet you as a local church. I'm praying that I'll come and visit you and that I'll be able to give you a present, isn't it? I want to pass on something to you, an amazing spiritual gift. And what is this spiritual gift? It's the gospel, isn't it? I want to come to you and preach the gospel in Rome. I want you to hear the gospel, and maybe also some non-Christians as well, isn't it? Sort of Gentiles, non-Jews, to hear the gospel as well. So Paul was planning to take the gospel to Spain, but he also wanted to take a team with him from the local church in Rome to Spain. Do you think so? What does he say? And to have you assist me on my journey. So he said, right, I'm going to do Mission Spain. <laughs> I'm going to take my gospel to, I'm going to take the gospel of God to Spain. But I'll need some help. I'll need some help. But he's like, but local church at Rome, if you're going to help me, you've got to be well up for it. You have got to know the gospel. You've got to understand the gospel. And you've got to live out the gospel. You've got to be living a holy life, and you've got to be united and loving as a church. And we've got to be the same, haven't we? If we want to do gospel work, we've got to know the gospel, we've got to understand the gospel, and we've got to live out the gospel, haven't we? We've got to be united, holy, and loving as a church. Otherwise, let's just close the doors, isn't it? If we're not united, if we're not holy and loving, then the gospel isn't going to work. You think, well, this is just a joke. It doesn't change your life. You're just like me. Actually, you're worse than me. The gospel has done nothing for you. We've got to know the gospel, understand the gospel, and live out the gospel if it's going to work. So the book of Romans is about... The gospel. It's about the gospel. How did Martin Luther describe it? It is purest gospel. But then the question is, what is the gospel? 
What is the gospel? Well, gospel means good news. Good news. So then the question is, where does this good news come from? Who is announcing this good news? Well, what do we read in verse 1? The gospel of God. So the gospel is God's good news. Isn't that incredible? The gospel of God is good news, but it isn't new good news. This isn't the first time that the gospel was announced in the epistle to the Romans. Because what we read in verse 2, Romans chapter 1, verse 2, the gospel, he, the gospel God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And as we study the book of, what's the book in March? Quick quiz for you. Anyone know? Genesis, yeah. So in March, I know we're only in February already, but in March we're going to be reading and studying Genesis, and we'll see the gospel promised and proclaimed even in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, isn't it? And as we read through the whole Old Testament over the next three years, we'll see the gospel sort of promised and presented throughout the whole of the Old Testament. So the gospel is God's good news. So what's he got to say? (laughs) What is God's good news? Because gospel is, is more than just good news. It is like an announcement of good news. It is like someone declaring that war is over. It is the kind of thing they'll want you to have a party in the streets, isn't it? It is that good. So what is God's good news? Well, what do we read in verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 1? Regarding his son, who according to the flesh was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power, to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God's good news is about God the Son. So God's good news about God. God's good news about the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the gospel is God's good news about Jesus. It always has been and it always will be. And if the gospel we tell people isn't about Jesus from beginning to end, in the center, then we're not really telling people the gospel away. So let's not just tell people about God when we try and tell people the gospel, isn't it? It's just too vague, isn't it? We've got to tell people who God is. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let me tell you about the member of God who became one of us, isn't it? It's only through Jesus we come to know the Father, isn't it? We've got to tell people about Jesus. I don't know how many of you have heard of uh, the evangelist uh, Glenn Scrivener. Uh, He's got this great line. He says, if God is like Jesus, then I'm in. Then I'm in. And he's known lots of people who have come to faith sort of when he sort of used that sort of reproach. Because people say, yeah, yeah, I really like Jesus, but I'm not too sure about God. Let me tell you something. Jesus is God. 
Jesus is God. He's exactly like the Father. So if you like Jesus, then you like the Father. Jesus brings us to the Father. And Jesus describes the Father in wonderful ways. He's so kind and loving and generous. We must tell people about Jesus. We must tell people who Jesus is. We must tell people why Jesus came and how we should respond to Jesus. That's kind of like Christianity explored, isn't it? Identity, mission, call. It's all about Jesus. But it's not just in Mark's gospel that we find the answer to those questions. Do you remember Mark's gospel? They were always sort of big questions. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? And how should we respond to him? Well, we see the answer to those three questions answered for us throughout the Bible. And we'll certainly find those three questions answered for us in the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, tell us who Jesus is and why he came. Who is Jesus? Well, he's the Son of God. He is the Christ, isn't he? He is the promised one who came from the line of David. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Lord. He became a member of the human race, and he rose from the dead. Isn't that incredible? And that's all just in Romans chapter 1, verse 3, isn't it? And then in verses 16 to 17, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, we're further told why Jesus came and how we should respond to him. What do we read there? Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So in the gospel, in God's good news about Jesus... God's righteousness is revealed. God's righteousness is given. So Jesus came to make us righteous. Jesus came to make us right with God. I said, why did we need to be made right with God? Well, you just have to read verses 18 to 32. Why do we need to be made right with God? Aha, read verses 18 to 32. We're wrong, aren't we? Have you ever heard someone say, what's the matter with people? When you read about sinful, depraved things happening in the world, say, what's the matter with people? What's the matter with the human race? It's like, oh, well, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, that is what's wrong with the world. We're wrong. We're not right, do we? And our sin angers a holy, loving, righteous God. So we need to be made right with God. And Jesus makes us right with God by living the righteous life that we couldn't live, living the perfect life we couldn't live, by taking the punishment for our sin, by bleeding and dying on a cross for my sin and your sin, and then rising victoriously and gloriously from the dead to defeat sin, hell, and death. So how should we respond? 
to God's good news about Jesus? How should we respond to God's good news about Jesus? Well, believe. Believe, isn't it? That's what we read in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. We've got to believe. We've got to trust in Jesus. First, verse 17, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as is written, the righteous will live by faith. That is the only way, the most appropriate way, isn't it, to respond to the good news of God that's about Jesus, to trust in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus. And then as a church, we ought not to be ashamed of this gospel. And you might be thinking, oh, I'd never be ashamed of the gospel. I'd never deny Jesus. But we are ashamed, aren't we? Maybe we wouldn't sort of stand up in our workplace and denounce our faith or renounce our faith. But we are given opportunities and we sort of say, actually, I'm not going to say anything here, isn't it? And then the question is, are you ashamed of this powerful gospel, this good news of God about Jesus? So like Paul, we need to not be ashamed of the good news of God about Jesus. And we ought to pass it on to others. So let's pray. Let's pray that as a church, we would know the gospel, understand the gospel, and live out the gospel.